the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The estate planning team is an Ohio registered investment advisor. The following is for informational purposes only and does not intend to make an offer or solicitation for the sale or purchase of any securities or financial products. Be sure to consult with a qualified financial advice and or tax professional before implementing any strategy discussed herein. You have financial goals and dreams. We can help you achieve them. Welcome to Financial Food for Thought, the show that answers all the questions on how to maximize your lifestyle and preserve your wealth. Good morning, everyone. You found Financial Food for Thought. My name is Mark Dolly. You got Carrie Waddell. And if you, you're giving me a strange look, Carrie. Are you, are you, I'm trying to figure out who is this. Well, if you obviously, if you've heard this, everybody, you know, this is our annual 420 show. Okay. And that's, of course, the great Muddy Waters. And I don't, I'm not going to talk all day today about the new green economy. And you know what I'm talking about, Carrie. Yeah. Not talking about solar panels. Right? Right. We're talking about. The real green economy dealing with the legalization of marijuana. And I'm not going to get into the urban legend of the 420, which is the unofficial pot holiday, April 20th. We're actually taping the show on April 21st this year Mm -hmm. on Friday. Um, and but the original, you know, urban legend going back to the California high schoolers who call themselves the Waldos. I'll let you research that right. on Google. You're talking a, about the financial issues that come along with the green economy. Financial, political, and how is it going to? Even I don't care what your opinion is on right. legal marijuana, whether right. medical and or recreational. Mm-hmm. Just is it really happening? And is it any way going to affect you? Hmm. Okay. And it could be from a financial standpoint. Right. Uh, it could be from a personal medical standpoint. Right. It could be the, the from a risk standpoint. Um, and how is the this, you know, again, Carrie, right now, so... It's gotten pretty popular, right? There's mm-hmm. 37 states wow. in the District of Columbia that have legalized medical use. Right. right. And then I believe there's 21 states that have legalized recreational use. Right. Including the District of Columbia. Oh, of course. <laughs> I feel like it shouldn't be legal there with the politicians. Um Right, I they're already lazy and kind of. They should be taking drug tests. I do yeah. agree with that. 
Um, so, uh, but again, we won't talk all about that. We also, um, you know, the last few weeks on this show, we've been highlighting some of the issues regarding long-term care. Mm-hmm. And one of them that we have talked about is when we were talking about the possible solutions that are out there for what we call the long-term care dilemma, right? Mm-hmm. And especially for baby boomers. But even maybe baby boomers' parents may still have to go through that. And the baby boomers may have to be dealing with their elder parents mm-hmm. going through that, right, Kerry? But so it's but one of them I was talking about was the the legal solution or the elder care attorneys out there they sometimes call themselves right. where they have a solution that involves what what was generally known as a Medicaid spend down trust right mm-hmm. and and the idea that they know the Medicaid laws inside out. Now, remember, Medicare is not going to pay for a lot of long-term care. Right. There's going to be limits. Very on how many days. And dollars. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, really, it ends. You know, once you once the doctors tell the family that the patient is no longer rehabilitative. You know, then usually the social worker meets with the doctors in the family mm-hmm. and say, okay, plan B, you know, the, 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 the hospital's going to kick you out, right? Either go home or you're going to have to self-pay. Um, and, and that leads into convalescent care. And that what leads to now a lot of people get that confused that it's not Medicare. A lot of people know that the government pr- uh, plan that pays for long-term care is Medicaid. Right, but you don't get Medicaid just by asking for it. You get it when you're you broke. Go through, there's a financial <laughs> right. There's a <laughs> the financial. You got to run out of a lot of money and, and assets, and that's what this spend down is all about. And so, what the elder care attorneys is that they have they have a a, a, a series of legal move you know documents that they can create and shift the 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 patient's assets. Into or it may hopefully a lot of times they're doing it before you get to that level, right? Now, in other words, you're dealing with a five year look back rule, so a lot of times they want you to implement the plan even before you're thinking you're ever going to need the care. Mm-hmm. Um, but but there, we we had a recent IRS uh, revenue ruling that kind of put a little twist to that. So I want to talk about that today as well. Um, also, you know, other things that happened this week. In the economy, um, well, the uh, debt ceiling debate heated up, Carrie, right? Mm-hmm. And we had a couple of things. One was what the Treasury Secretary, Janet Yellen, and what the Treasury was saying in terms of when is this whispered date, right? When things really, <laughs> if America, and, and the, the, the don't risk they just there, keep raising it? They don't care. Well, this the it's the political chicken game that's right, going on right now. Right, but I'm just saying it. That's what happens every time. Every time, and they raise it anyway. So to me, it's just right. But so what happened this week is we got Kevin McCarthy's House plan that to deal with the uh, debt ceiling and what they want to do and and the bill that they came up with now. And we'll talk a little bit about that and, and why many people think that is just dead on arrival. Um, so lots to talk about today, Carrie. Obviously, I know you always have things you want to talk about mm-hmm. as well. 
So why don't you get us started, and then we'll go. All right. Good morning, everyone. You're listening to Financial Food for Thought. We're here every Saturday morning on 1420 AM between 9 and 10. We're a financial educational talk program here to talk about issues or opportunities or problems or financial news that may relate to your own financial life and talking about strategies and concepts um, that hopefully will help you. um, And that's whether you're working or already in your retirement years. Um, We are sponsored by the estate planning team that's an affordable fee-based Ohio registered fiduciary planning firm. What we do is financial modeling, objective unbiased analysis, and help people know if they're working, when they can afford to retire, what can they spend, what steps they can take to create that future tax efficient income and put themselves in a better position. And if you're in retirement, how to design an effective distribution plan to cover your expenses and then also lower cumulative taxes and coordinating with your existing investment advisors and understanding people's detailed financial goals and whether it's, um, and trying to design a plan, um, addressing those goals that you have, as well as addressing the concerns and worries. And does that translate to you having to change your spending habits and behaviors? Or are you worried about something you shouldn't be? Or if you're really worried about, we can build in a um, another model, we often call it Plan R, uh, recession and higher inflation rates, a longer recovery. And does that affect potential retirement dates, spending. Um, And for some people it will and some people won't, but at least you know, and then you can adjust for some people that it will affect. Do you know, you know, could you, do you have to cut 10%, 20%, 30% of discretionary spending? How much fix should you be in versus growth? We don't do investments. We have clients that do it on their own or have an existing company plan or the clients that have an investment advisor. We coordinate with and work very well with a lot of our clients advisors saying, you know, we look at your assets in terms of risk growth and tax efficiency, how much growth, what growth rate do you need to make your money last? And are you taking on more risk than necessary to accomplish your financial goals? And we basically look at all the areas of your financial life. And even if you're someone who thinks they're okay, can you make it better? Can you put more net spendable dollars in your pocket? We offer a free, no obligation, no pressure consultation. We're happy to do it by phone or in person. We can talk in general, or we can, uh, if you're willing to give us some information, we have a two-page information gathering worksheet. We run preliminary analysis for that meeting so we can see how best we can help you. And we have both hourly options and comprehensive retainers. And if you want to take advantage of a free consultation, call 440-239-2090. That's 440-239-2090 or visit our website at financialfoodforthought.com. That's financialfoodforthought.com. And I'm Carrie Waddell and I have Mark Donnelly here this morning. All right. So Carrie, so is America going up in smoke? Right? Mm, sure feels um, like it some days. So as we said, 37 states and the D.C. have legalized medical marijuana. 21 states and District of Columbia have legalized recreational. Carrie, one of the interesting statistics I picked up this year was that, do you know now that Americans favor legal pot, cannabis, over legal tobacco right now? That, I, I'm not, I, I have my own opinion. On, that's, that's crazy. That's crazy. Right, so, so, I think it's crazy. So 57% of American adults would support a policy prohibiting the sale of all tobacco products. Yet a slight 
larger majority, 59%, believe marijuana should be legal for both medical and recreational use. This is a Pew, Res- a Pew Research mm. study. Um, another 30% approve of cannabis for medical use alone. Okay, so basically what they're saying, 89% of Americans are in favor of medical marijuana. Um, and only 10%, you know, of Americans still believe that marijuana should not be legal at all. That boy, has that changed? Wow. And I think medical marijuana, if there's more studies and I think there needs to be done because things I've read is the marijuana of the seventies and the sixties is not today's marijuana. uh, They talk about it's 10 times stronger the potential, I don't know, regardless of how you feel, oh, that it's yeah. not, it's much more potent oh, yeah, than it was before. It's not your Woodstock week. Right, exactly. Um, no, it's, it's, it's addictive. It's, it's, um, it, it leads to psychosis issues. Um, and we'll talk a little bit about and that. And the socioeconomic issues. I know at one time the governor of Colorado had talked about he regretted, you know, that they had legalized it. And it's the legalization hasn't been going that long. Was it around 2012? Yeah, well, no. Um, so remember, we were you know we were talking a little bit about the um, the financial aspect of it. But remember, at the time, Washington State was one of the first states, right, to legalize it. Right? Was that the one with the blueberry farm? Yeah, you remember okay, my blueberry yeah. farm? <laughs> so, so if you're listening to the show, you've, you've probably heard me tell the story. But so reportedly. You know, Washington State, blueberry heaven, right? So one acre of blueberry fetched about $17,000 in profits. Okay. Hey, that's not bad, right? No. If you got 100 acres or something? Yeah. You know? Um, okay. Um, and that was one of the more lucrative crops in right. the state of Washington, right? The blueberry crop. All right. Um, but then when they were talking about getting marijuana legalized, there were projections of what one acre of pot would gross mm-hmm. for the farmer. It was a bit more than 17,000. It was quite a bit more because this, you hadn't talked about this in a long time, but I remembered it, it was, was shocking. It was $7.4 million, mm, 400 so, times so more. So for a farmer, 17,000, you could grow it for one year and say, oh, I'll go back to blueberries next year. Right. Um, and, and that's why in some places, now I don't know if that 7.4 million ever proved out. But certainly, there's been a growth, and 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 a lot of a lot of cannabis companies. Mm-hmm. So if you're into if you're if you want to say, hey, how do I partake in the green economy? Maybe you want to invest. So and and we're not here to tell. We don't pick stocks for our clients. No. I'm making no call. I don't know nothing. Stocks bore me, quite frankly. But just a list of what what are some of the companies out there that you might have heard of or whatever. There's Canopy Growth. Uh, Aurora Cannabis, uh, Green Thumb Industries. So sometimes it's ancillary right. businesses, right? right? It's the old, it's the old Gold Rush Levi, you know, right. example, right? Um, so you mean like um, accessories, <laughs> marijuana sure. accessory? Great, Gro- growing exactly. techniques. Right. I mean, they, a, a, a true grower, Carrie, doesn't want to grow one crop a year. They want right. to grow three crops a year. Right. Indoors with artificial lights and artificial watering, right? Because you're not going to get three crops outside in too many locations in this country. Um, Grow generation, innovative industrial property. So again, in other words, you might just want to invest in REITs that buy land that will be used to grow, you know, the the cannabis. So, um, but all right. So there's one thing there. now, some of the newer states who have recently 
um, legalized it. Well, I won't talk about that state up north, Carrie. Right. But, um, they recently legalized it, one of our border states. Um, but Missouri. Okay, so Missouri is one that um, recently approved or legalized the recreation. You know, Carrie, in the first three and a half weeks, mm-hmm. not months, three and a half weeks, there was over $70 million of pot. It's a cash crop. Well, I was going to say, they say the number one benefit, if you read articles and studies of legal age, it's boosts the economy and creates tax revenue. Um, Some of the states that are next in line, Minnesota has legislation bill working its way through their Senate. Um, But not all, you know, states that have tried to, get it passed as approved it, Carrie. Ohio is, hasn't approved recreational use, right. right? It keeps failing at the ballot box. Um, uh, what was the one? Oklahoma recently. Um, they Oklahoma tried to legalize it, and it didn't, uh, didn't work out. The voters were against it. By a pretty uh, probably hefty margin, too. I think it was, you know, over 60% voted no. Um so also, you could talk about uh, how is it being accepted across America. Um, well, you know, let's look at the some of our, you know, who a lot of young Americans look up to, Carrie, are okay. athletes. Right. Well, I was going to say, I'm guessing a lot of athletes would use it. So, <laughs> right. So the NFL which has always been kind of, you know, uh, called the no fun league right. because they always had a, had a hard stance right. against marijuana or any drug use, right. but and the testing and all that, right? Um but the uh but for, for example, the NBA, you know, we got our mm-hmm. Cleveland Cavs in the playoffs. They're more lenient. <laughs> well, <laughs> under recent collective bargaining agreement the players association now the nba is not testing any of the players oh my goodness they've okay. just abandoned the tests right now it it, it, it be, and it becomes so a lot of people are wondering is the nfl going to follow suit mm-hmm. um because it, it, you know it, it's it's because they get back to that issue as well if if the players are playing in a state that has one of the 21 states that right. have legalized recreational use right should they be allowed to do it? But that's true. If you work for like your contract, you're not supposed to do certain things. Well, I'm not saying they're right. smoking up at halftime, Carrie. Right. But still, I mean, I'm just saying you have the, you know, I'm sorry, if you have restrict rules, whether you're in sports and you're making millions a year and you have to follow some rules. Well, apparently, though, there's, you know, whispering around that the NFL, uh, the owners, not that the owners are greedy, Carrie, right? You know, but... The, but the the there's word that maybe the owners are willing to now negotiate with the National Football League Player Association on this issue. Now, maybe may a little too late for uh, Josh Gordon. Remember right. the old Browns receiver? You probably don't remember right. him. No. Okay, Josh Gordon, he, he, he kept failing. He, I think he missed two seasons back-to-back mm-hmm. you know, because of his failed uh, you know, to test. Um, and now he's out of the NFL. He was playing in one of the other, you know, football leagues, not the NFL, but I don't know if he's still playing. So, so it may be too late for a lot of them, but, and they're saying, well, why would the owners be having a change of heart right now? Because they want to like open up the pool, the potential, maybe some great player that happens to use. I'm sure they don't want penalties. 
They don't want it somebody to that, not play. But maybe even more, they want some concession otherwise coming from the players. In other words, how much would the players give up? Cons- <laughs> yes, to get the testing dropped. That's cr- I, I don't know. Um, so, all right. So, and I'll, I'll talk a little bit more about this too. But like I said, I don't want to spend the whole day on 420, but it is some interesting, it's just an interesting what's happening across America with this whole issue. Um, all right. So Carrie, last few shows, as I said, we've been working or talking a lot about the long-term care dilemma for the baby boomers. Right. And one of the things with this elder care is that the idea that, yeah, that they, and, and typically again, I'm not here to give legal advice. One of the things that we try to get across to our new clients is that we do try to help you coordinate with your other advisors. So we always talk about the five professional advisors that you may end up hiring to help you build whatever you want to call it today, estate plan, financial plan, retirement plan, pre-retirement plan, and names are interchangeable. But okay, so who are those five players? It could be the attorney. Mm-hmm. It could be, you had mentioned the an investment advisor. Right. Certainly could be a CPA or a tax preparer. Mm-hmm. Could be an insurance person that could right. help you with things like long-term care insurance or health insurance. Or it could be what we consider ourselves at the state planning team, the traditional financial planner. They know where we help build you these models that project out your financial future and helps you in getting a, a long range approach. It helps you make decisions today, puts you into decision making mode, especially having that written formal financial plan allows you to play the what if games. Kara, you were mentioning right. the idea of building a plan R for recession. In other words, a, a base case recession right now. As a matter of fact, we saw the, 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 the Federal Reserve FOMC minutes for March, pretty much they came out and said their base case is recession. I talked about that in right. a show a while ago. Members said looking at their GDP projections, it, it would almost have to be right. a negative GDP to get there. So yeah. So now is it going to be a deep recession? Hopefully not. But what are steps? You know, if you're worried about that, then you model in a recessionary effect to your plan to see if you're still okay. You know, how would you do that? Well, you would say what well, you could say, well, I'm if you're still working, the big risk that we fear in recessions is that people lose their jobs. Mm-hmm. Here, I, I, I started a list of how many companies are announcing layoffs. I yeah. just gave up on it because it was just too long. Mm-hmm. It's starting. Um, you know, it, and, and, and some big layoffs too. And yeah. And so, you know, so that's, you know, now if you're retired, you're not worried about losing your job in a recession, mm-hmm. but you may, if you do have money in the market, um, then you may say, yeah, you may see those values dip a bit. Right. And so the idea is that as opposed to having the robot, just assume you're going to get your 5% every year, you model in and tell her, Oh, Hey, what if assume a result? What if I have a 15% loss in this year in year one, then maybe a 0% in year two, and then maybe, maybe two to 3% in year three. And then maybe by the fourth year, I'm back to my five, you know, that type of thing, the, the sequence of returns. That's especially important. Let's say you're recently retired and you're going from the wages in the accumulation phase to the, 
retirement distribution phase. Well, if you have to start taking money out of your nest egg at the same time in those beginning years, it's dropping 15, 20%. This is what we saw happen in the lost decade, you know, in March 2000 when the tech bubble burst and then again in 2008 in the Great Recession. Mm-hmm. All right. And so sequence of returns became a, a, a day to day, you know, term in retirement planning. And, and, but you can certainly model that in if you are concerned about that. Um, so, so back to, so, but, but another risk, you know, in terms of the long-term care, right? So as I said, one of the, one of the shows, and I don't know, it was the last three shows, I think we've been talking about this care. You can always go back and listen to the podcast, Mm -hmm. but this idea of the elder care solution is where you work with the attorneys and they know the Medicaid laws inside and out. And they know how to reposition your assets in a place where you try, the goal is to try to prevent a 100% spend down of your assets to get Medicaid. Okay. And there's a lot to it. I'm not going to get into I was going to say it's pretty complicated. Yeah. I'm not going to get into the weeds of all the Medicaid laws. I don't have time on this show. Um, but they, those attorneys know all those and, and they help the families apply for Medicaid. Now, that's what I've been saying on the shows. If if your plan is that you don't want to go on Medicaid, then you probably don't want this solution because <laughs> this solution is designed to put you on Medicaid, right? But typically, what, what in these cases, there is a irrevocable trust that's created. And the idea is you change ownership, you move assets that are currently in your name or your joint name, if you're a couple, into this irrevocable trust. Mm-hmm. Right? Now, there's some tax rules around irrevocable trusts, and not to get too far into the weeds on that. You know, talk to your attorney, talk to your CPA, coordination advisors. If you don't know what questions to be asking them, we do. You know, we can go with you to these meetings. Right. Um, but one of them is typically the idea is if you move these assets into this irrevocable trust, they remove them from your taxable estate. So they would not be subject to a Medicaid spend down because you no longer own them. Right. And that irrevocable trust has its own tax ID number. It's a separate bucket that's not included. Now, but but the idea is there that goes one step further. And a lot of times these are what the industry calls an intentionally defective grantor trust, an IDGT. All right. Mm-hmm. I know I'm going to lose, uh, you know, everyone, but let me just try to simplify this. But um, so it, the idea is saying, remember, there are two, there are two law, you know, income tax law versus the state tax law, Carrie. I guess there's one way to say it, right? Mm-hmm. And they're completely separate. You know, there's a there's gift and estate tax law in this country, federal, and there's federal income tax law, right? And they're not the same. Mm-hmm. They're two completely separate taxes right um and but the idea is normally if you have an irrevocable trust any taxable income that the irrevocable trust earns is taxed at the trust level it files the the irrevocable trust would file a 1041 as opposed to individuals who filed a 1040 and the tax rate for those trusts are a lot higher correct than the uh than the individual okay um and i don't know if i can care if i can even find the an example 
Um, do you, you don't have the tax tables there? No. All right, I'll have to look for that. Oh, here they are. Okay, just to give you an example. So you may be familiar right now for, you know, for 2023. Um, the, for an individual, let's say married filing jointly, in order to get to the 37%, the top tax rate, right, you would need taxable income over 693000 Pretty high. Mm-hmm. Which is why not too many taxpayers in this country are at the thirty-seven percent rate, right? Right. But for trusts and estates, it's easy to get there. To get to the thirty-seven <laughs> percent, you need fourteen thousand four hundred fifty dollars of income. Mm-hmm. Gets there a bit quicker. All right. Now, so one of the things that the Wall Street attorneys did is they created what they call an intentionally defective grantor trust. So they put language in the document which says, well, really from an income tax standpoint, the 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 person that does this is the the taxable income could still be taxed at the lower individual rates. Mm-hmm. But for estate taxes, the asset is out of their estate. It's kind of the best of both worlds. Mm-hmm. And and you know, have your attorney explain it to you because I'm not going to try to do that on the show. All right, but it, it's now known in the industry as an intentionally defective grantor trust. Now, one of the things about estate taxes is normally, if you pass a capital appreciating asset at the time of your death, it gets favorable step up in date, you know, tax treatment for the beneficiary. Mm-hmm. So typically, let's take your house. Let's say you bought a house, let's say for $150,000. At the date of your death, it was worth $300,000. Mm-hmm. You never sold it during your lifetime. Now you die. Now you're you're leaving the house to your son. Well, the son inherits the house. His His tax value in the house gets stepped up to the date of death value. So if that is $300,000, that becomes his tax basis. So if he sells it for three hundred thousand, there's no tax. That that unrealized capital gain is Goes forgiven away, at right. death. All right, um, that's called the step up in basis, right? And that's a very f- a popular, very favorable tax treatment. Right. And now, but if it's it, but if you, for example, move that house into an irrevocable trust, okay, now you would not get a step up in basis at the time of your death. Okay, because it's in an irrevocable trust. It's an entity, not an individual. And so that's some of the the state tax rules. Well, so what this intentionally defective grantor trust does, given the best of both worlds, it was a way that was saying, yeah, we've written, we've the we us attorneys have created this document that can say you still get you get the favorable income tax treatment during your lifetime, but you still get the step up in basis treatment at death. Mm Hmm. Okay. Until Carrie. Now. Okay. So apparently, well, this is the issue right now. So um, recently, on the end of March, uh, I think it was March 29th of this year, the IRS came out with their revenue ruling 2023-2023-2. And it clarifies that assets in the defective grantor trust are generally not assets eligible for IRC Section 1014A basis adjustment because they are not acquired or passed from a decedent within the meaning of IRS, our Internal Revenue Code Section 1014B. This is the first time the IRS has addressed this issue. 
Well, it must be a big enough issue for them to address it. Um, you know, Internal Revenue Code Section 1041A1 generally considers the basis of property that was acquired from a past or was acquired from or passed from a decedent to a person if not sold, exchanged, or otherwise disposed on before the decedent's death by that person to be the fair market value of their property at the date of the decedent's death. That's a stub open basis. And now they're saying that if these assets, though, were in this IDGG, you know, this intentionally defective grantor trust, it's no longer to get that treatment. Now, is this concerning? Well, I'm not here to say whether it's concerning or not. Um, all I'm saying is, do you understand the complication of these th- these documents? Has has the attorney that you're working with explained this to you? Because I know in in, in a lot of cases, and we've had lots of families put this plan together, and it can work. It, it's just when I was mentioning on the show a, a couple weeks ago, it may work a lot better for an 80 year old than it may work for a 60 year old. Mm-hmm. But that was one of the questions that would always come up because usually, and, and, and you may have your own experience with this, or if you if you're if you're looking at this as a possible solution, one of the first assets that these attorneys want you to put into the irrevocable trust is the house, your home, all right, and and usually the 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 client one of the first questions is, especially if they're young, is saying, well. Can I, if I don't own the house anymore, can I still sell it if I want? Mm. Um, and the attorney will typically say, yeah, you can still sell it. And then I would, you know, the next question is, well, does it still get the, uh, you know, for example, would it still get the capital gain exclusion for the sale of a primary residence? And I would argue possibly not. And so that I, you might have to pay capital gains. As- well, if, if you it, decide to move or in this case, is it's going to get the stub up in basis? So these are so obviously what so all I'm saying is that, it, you know, one of the and one of the things I much mentioned earlier on one earlier show is that when it comes to the legal solution for a long term care dilemma, the, the one of the inherent problems is the attorneys can only work with the laws that are in existence today. Right. And. Are th- anything that's in the law today, is it automatically, is it guaranteed that it's going to be grandfathered if the law changes by the time the clients really need right. to implement it? Meaning when they're going in, which may never occur. Right. All right. So it, it's just that idea that, um, again, you know, you know, one of the things about financial planning is what we always try to get across to our clients is that we're very active planners at the estate planning team. So you got to keep active at it because not only can things obviously change in your, uh, your picture, the things that you can control, but also things could be changing outside, you know, things that are totally outside your control that you may have to address. Well, and I think too, Mark, that's a good point of, Regardless in financial planning, whether there's a product or a strategy or solution, I think too many times people don't really understand all the pieces and parts. And if you don't understand conceptually, whether it's a product or a strategy like this, maybe you need to ask more questions until you understand because everything has its pluses and minuses, you know, and you need to find that out before you make a decision. A lot of people make say, oh, that sounds good. I'm just going to go ahead and do it. And 
then they regret it later. Or, you know, we've seen people after the, you know, come in and they have a lot of products or things that they have that they don't really understand how they work or what was the intention of it for the long run. And it just sounded good at the time. So, you know, we help make sure that our clients understand, is there something better that they're thinking about as a potential solution. And because we're an objective fee-based planner, we do that. We look at all available strategies and possible opportunities and know what questions to ask and does it fit. And you can take advantage of a free, no obligation, no pressure consultation by phone or in person. Call our office. We'll get back to you on Monday. Our number is 440-239-2090. That's 440 440- 239-2090, or you can visit the website and contact us for the free consultation, sign up for our newsletter and other helpful information at financialfoodforthought.com. All right. And one of the reasons you might want to ask on an issue like that is the IRS, Carrie, right? So remember, I think it was last week or maybe the week before I was, I was asking, has anyone seen any articles or stories about is there any been more better help that taxpayers doing tax season, mm-hmm. if they were calling the IRS for help, did any did a live person pick up the phone? Mm. Well, I don't know. Guess what, Carrie? I haven't... We got a report card did this Did we? Week. Okay. Now, it's issued by the Treasury Department. So. Oh, well, I think they might be a little biased. <laughs> I, no, no, no. But um, so, because remember, so here's the headline. Mm-hmm. IRS achieved 87% level of service. Answer two million more calls through live assistance and cut phone wait times by 85%. Now, this all gets back to the Mm -hmm. 5,000 IRS people that they hired to help with this process. Okay. Um, And let's see, you know, part of the Inflation Reduction Act that gave, that allocated, you know, $80 billion to the IRS. Um, and then part of that was to hire staff to help with this issue that mm-hmm. because of the long, you know, so let's see. Um, thanks to the 5,000 new hires, um, customer service representatives answered more than 6.5 million taxpayer calls this year. 2.4 million more calls with live assistance since the start of the year through April 7th compared to the same period in 2022. IRS cut phone wait times to four minutes, down from 27 minutes in the filing season last year. IRS achieved an 87% level of service with live assistance this filing season, exceeding the 85% goal set by Secretary Yellen last well, year. Well, then what was it last year? I'd like to know that stat because I bet it's... Um, I don't know if I believe that. This is more than a five-fold increase in okay. level of service over filing season 2022. Ooh, that's bad. If that's five, it's like... The IRS integrated new technology features like customer callback options, which will be available for 95% of taxpayers calling for toll-free live assistance by the end of July 2023. Now, the the report card did not state what the accuracy of what the IRS people told the taxpayer. Right. So that will, uh, is yet to come. So we'll see. Um, so talking about 420, right? So there's some tax issues around 420 as well. Carrie, okay. Right? Um, so, you know, in March, I always talk about the March madness. Right. right? 
Well, I guess now we can add the March Reefer Madness. Oh, my gosh. All right. Now, you probably don't remember the movie Reefer Madness, Carrie. No. Right? You never saw it? No. I mean, you don't. I mean, it came out in 1936, but I mean, it's, no. been, a, it's been a cult favorite for, okay, for many no. years. Um, all right. So, so this is, you know, whether, so maybe you're looking for a, you know, encore career. Sometimes we're talking about that, right? Maybe it's a hobby career, right? Okay. And maybe you want to start growing some, you know, weed. Mm, not me, but, you okay. know, maybe uh, you do. Or maybe you want to, <laughs> you know, you know, buy into a, a partnership that's doing something more grandeur than, you know, growing a few plants in your backyard, right? Um, so the question becomes, can marijuana firm owners take the 20% write-off for pass-through income? All right. So this is, so as you know, one of the benefits of owning your own small business is that you get a lot of deductions. Mm-hmm. And more recent, more, most recently or more recently is one is what we call, you may refer, you may actually get it. If you look at your tax return, you may be getting a qualified business deduction. Okay. Even if you don't own your own small business, right. you may own a company, a stock or something that's getting it. And somehow uh, some of it's flowing back to you. Okay. Right? But the generally is if you own a small business, you are probably most definitely, unless the small business is making too much money. Right. Then it gets phased out. Okay. Um, so. Um, so the question was always, well, does the marijuana business owner get that? Because under federal, the federal still treats this as a Schedule One drug, which is saying is illegal. Federally, it's li- illegal. Okay, um, that complicates it. Yeah. Now, for example, current federal statute prohibits marijuana businesses from deducting expenses on their federal return, other than the cost of goods. So they can write off the cost of goods sold, even in states that have legalized it. Okay. Okay. Um, but apparently, a now a, a IRS attorney has now come out and kind of said that uh, IRS won't automatically challenge a taxpayer's claim for the 20% deduction on his or her share of a pass-through marijuana entity, qualified business income. So there you go. Um, well, wasn't it earlier this year that they tweeted out that, like, if you were doing a legal activity, you could report it and they wouldn't go after you anyway, like, on your return? For, Did you hear? For the IRS, it was saying, hey, if you're doing an illegal business or, you know, not the savory income, you can report it. Oh, you yeah, still, we you, still want you to pay your taxes on it? We want you to pay taxes on it, but we won't come after you. So. Right. So yeah. is this the same way you can go ahead and report it? <laughs> Use the deductions and. Yeah. So I, I don't know. We'll, we'll, we'll see. Um, all right. So let's see. What else was I going to say? The. Um, the. The debt ceiling debate really heated up, and so this is one of the headwinds out there about the the most anticipated recession ever, right? Mm-hmm. And one of them is that a lot of economists, a lot of politics, a lot of you know, a lot of uh, pundits, you know, say that if the USA defaults on its debt, that will be a massive recession. Okay. All right. And the, the, so the question becomes, um, when is that going to happen? So the whispered X date is June 5th. 
Mm, that's right around the corner. You think? Yeah. Now, so one thing that happened this week, so one, and, and that's not the date of default per se. Okay. It, it's that the date where the treasury starts really worrying about it. Okay. Whether, do they really have enough money to pay the debts? Okay. Um, when they feel that there may not be enough there. And, you know, maybe you all get that feeling sometime with your own monthly budget mm-hmm. that you might not have enough to get to the end of the month. You know the feeling. Um, now, so one of the things they were looking for was tax day to see how much revenues came into the coffers. Okay. Well, the, the, so we have some debt on that. And the Treasury said that revenue came in at about $108 billion. On the uh, you know the eighteenth, the, the extended tax date. This okay, year. but Carrie, that's not quite big enough to move the dial. Okay, they were hoping that if revenues came in large enough, it would move that dial. Let's say to at least beyond you know. Of course, Congress has to take their August recess. Carrie, mm-hmm. right? Well, now apparently it wasn't big enough to move the dial. Okay, so now they really have to deal with this. Mm, maybe they should August cut recess. some spending, <laughs> like the rest of us. Maybe that have had to make adjustments. No, Carrie, you, you're, they're just going to kick the can down the road. That's Always. all they're going to do. That's what I'm saying. They they get paid to do not the, you know they're not getting paid to do what they're supposed to. And they don't have a lot of time to work because actually, when you look at the Congress's busy schedule, Carrie, between now and August, there's probably less than forty actual business days in session that they have to deal with this yeah i think that they we should all petition for them to stay and not leave in august Um, they get more vacation days i think they work harder at not working or they work really hard at getting reelected, and that's about it now the second thing that happened this week as i said is that you know kevin's you know kevin mccarthy you know house speaker who by the way he's trying to prove that he can indeed be an effective leader right Mm mm-hmm um, you know, can he actually get things done? Right? Can he can he cross the aisle? Because they don't have a big majority right. in the House, and they don't, and the Democrats have the Senate, right? So, so Kevin McCarthy. And as a matter of fact, there was an earlier article, other Wall Street Journal. Um, this was back. This is probably more about a month ago. Um. You know, Mr. McCarthy, less than three months after he fought back far-right lawmakers to secure the speakership, told reporters his job was secure and there was no infighting. They had a they had a gathering of of House. You know, they're discussing what how they're going to deal mm-hmm. this summer with this debate problem, um, the debt ceiling showdown. And his quote was, "Why would I go through fifteen rounds?" That was all that. Remember how how, how it's hard for him to get voted in Mm -hmm. so why would i go through 15 rounds if i didn't think i could lead he said referring to the speaker vote mr mccartley outlined a series of bills and briefings with democrats that he said show he has improved the way the house works we have changed congress on its head he said so here's maybe his first test can he get this debt ceiling debate problem resolved without you know, and now my concern, Carrie, and this is why I'm bringing it home, is I don't. Th- I think it's going to be a very volatile. So if you've got money in the stock market, mm-hmm. fasten your seatbelts. Mm. Now, what he did so this week, Kevin McCarthy came out with his plan. Okay, it's um, 
320 pages, okay? And he calls it the Limit, Save, and Grow Act. Okay. Okay. Um, and it was his, and, and remember, because remember President Biden came out with his budget, right? And then President Biden kept saying, I haven't seen anything that the Republicans are doing. When am I going to see something? Right. Okay. Um, and it's the chicken fight. You know, they're both pointing fingers at each other that both sides say the other side's got the problem about raising this debt ceiling, right? Or resolving this issue. So we America pays its bills, right? Which everyone knows America is going to pay its bills. Right. And they're going to kick the can down the road. But let's get mm. back to politics. Okay. Um, now, um, so in the meantime, until they kick the can down the road, that's what I'm saying. Just I'm expecting the stock market to be a roller coaster. Mm-hmm. You know, um, all right. So what's in, you know, and then, of course, a lot of people, you know, Captain Obvious is saying it's, you know, this bill is dead on arrival, right? Um, now, why are they saying that? Well, number one, <laughs> um, there's not going to be too many Democrats that are going to vote, right? For right. The House bill. And there's even a question of even if the far right in the House are going to vote for it. Because mm-hmm. that, 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 that group was the one who were trying to keep McCarthy from being voted in. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, but even if it passed the House, all right, it's, it's, there's no way it's going to pass in the Senate. And even if it passed in the Senate, President Biden has already said he's going to veto it. Oh, my goodness. All right. Um, now, so it, it's like, so basically, it, it's like, it's, the, it's a rud, Carrie. You know what mm-hmm. a rud is? I mean, we just learned that this week. No. Did you see the Elon's SpaceX yeah, uh, Starship blow up? Yeah. And they called it a, a rapid, unscheduled disassembly. Mm. That's what's going to happen to McCarthy's bill if it ever got to the floor. And he hasn't even said when he's bringing it to the floor. Um, so, anyways, but what was you know what was in it? You know, President Biden called it the the wacko notions, right? Okay. So, what were some of the wacko notions that were in the House bill? Okay. Well, one, it did say it was going to raise the debt ceiling by one point five trillion. Carrie, there's the, the no, not cutting spending, just only limit the spending to one point five trillion. Carrie. Okay. Um, Currently, what what is the debt? Thirty one trillion. Who? What's another one and a half, Gary? Um, and then it would it would raise that ceiling into next year, right before the election. Mm-hmm. So it would come up again before the general election, the, the POTUS election. Okay, it was going to roll back spending to twenty twenty two. Okay, um, and impose a one percent cap on future federal spending for the next decade. So there you go. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, it was going to claw back unspent COVID nineteen funds. Okay. Remember well, the, yeah. Yeah. Didn't we have all those funds that were being not ever used? Oh, I'm sure the governor knows where every dollar of that is right, <laughs> yeah. right now. Um, it was also going to eliminate President Biden's uh, student loan debt forgiveness plan. Now, the Supreme Court may do that anyways. I was going to say that's that, going to happen in June, that right? Should be. Yeah. I don't know what they're waiting for, but whatever. Um, and it was also going to roll back parts of the Inflation Reduction Act of 2022, specifically the you know all the green dollars that was in the Inflation right. Reduction Act. You right. know that they to fight climate change, they want to you know defund that, and also um, halt, remember I was just mentioning the 80 billion that was allocated to right. beef up the IRS. They want to you know cut that back. Um, now, so. The, the question then, well, well, and those, according to President Biden, are all wacko notions, right? But so what, well, what was it going to do? I mean, in other words, 
Okay, so McCarthy says that his measures will protect Social Security and Medicare, not by cutting benefits. So the question is, how are they going to do that? Well, he's saying it's going to drive more people into the workforce Mm -hmm. to pay for it. In other words, we need the workers paying the payroll taxes to keep it funded. That's the great resignation. Put a big dent into that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I keep saying if, if robots are going to replace us all, the robots are going to have to pay payroll taxes. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. Now, so it was improved, tougher work requirements um, to recipients of, of the government food stamps and things like that. Um, it, it wants to put a sweeping energy bill that aims to boost oil, gas, and coal production. I don't know if the Democrats are going to be too excited about that. Um, and it's going to save taxpayers more than $4.5 trillion. Now, pundits and economists, again, are waiting for the CBO to, to score it, to see how accurate it is. Okay. Um, kind of go from there. So, I don't know. It, we'll, we'll see what happens. Let's see, Carrie, a couple more minutes. Okay. Um, last thing, just about the, the medical, so on the, the 420. So, one of the things is, you know, the, the biggest people that are going on marijuana medical use are over 65-year-olds, right? Mm-hmm. The ones that are on Medicare. And it's expensive. So th- the question is, is Medicare going to pay for your legal medical marijuana? Okay. Um, because currently it really doesn't. Okay. Um, and the because it's still considered a Schedule One drug... And for example, the FDA hasn't approved it as a valid, you know, medical uh, uh, remedy, so to speak. Um, and whereas, and so that's becoming a bigger, bigger issue. So it's also the issue about Medicare Advantage, you know, a private state Medicare Advantage plan. Would they pay for it? I'm here the music area. I'll, I'm gonna, I'll come back on this because I think this may be an issue that. Oh, you know, it may affect a lot of 65-year-olds. Right. Call the estate planning team for a free consultation at 440-239-2090. That's 440-239-2090 or visit financialfoodforthought.com. Tune in next week for more Financial Food for Thought. For more information about the show, for estate planning or upcoming seminars, call the estate planning team at 440-239-2090. Thanks for listening. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.